Taking in today's awesome episode of Weather Jazz. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, and periodically even some interesting off topic episodes that, for no other reason, your host finds interesting, and I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Berlinger. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 275 for Wednesday, December 29th, 2021. We are rounding third and heading into home plate of 2021. About ready to start a brand new year on Saturday, up and coming. And I am scheduling, or at least planning on releasing, a Friday, an open line Friday edition of Weather Jazz. That'll be episode 276 for the final day of 2021. I'll keep you in suspense, mainly because I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing yet. And sometimes those episodes are some of the most fun episodes that I have ever done. Well, typically on a Wednesday, I end up tackling a topic that may or may not be weather related, but often deals with a science of some sort. And today we will edge into that territory and it does have something to do with weather and space weather as well. My special guest today is Tom Chisholm. Tom is a meteorologist And he is someone that I have known for approximately four decades or so. And he also is a graduate of Linden State College, a little before my time, but just by a few years, a handful of years. Now, for a long period in Tom's career as a meteorologist, he was in media, but recently has made a very interesting shift. And that shift still includes meteorology, but it also includes another discipline. And we'll talk more about that coming up in just a bit. But right now, let's join the conversation that I had with Tom first about his career in media. It's a fascinating story. And then, of course, we will get into what he is up to today. So buckle up. Here we go. My conversation with meteorologist Tom Chisholm. Tom, welcome to Weather Jazz. Andre, it's a pleasure to speak with you. You know, you and I go back a long way, uh, and delightfully so, because we're both meteorologists that uh, had uh, a, a media tract for a long while. And in just a little bit, I want you to um, take me to what you're doing now, which is really, truly fascinating. Because you haven't jettisoned science at all. As a matter of fact, you almost have uh, taken on an enhanced 
scientific role and put on an enhanced scientific hat. But uh, first of all, tell the folks uh, who are listening today um, how you got into meteorology. We're both from southern New England. Well, I, uh, I grew up within a media culture that was very weather intensive. Uh, and as a child, I grew up in just south of Boston and Braintree. And my earliest recollection, uh, along with really my family's memory of uh, the great Worcester tornado, which was for a long time the second worst tornado in U.S. history, uh, and they were very mindful of that and very civil defense oriented. And so that was part of the family culture. And then uh, one of my earliest recollections, too, is Hurricane Donna in 1960. But during that whole time, I, I grew up watching uh, two weather casters in Boston who I, I just think are legends. One was Don Kent, mm-hmm. uh, who was the, considered the dean, and uh, Bob Copeland, uh, who was a uh, protege of Don's, along with a few others that they came out of that MIT culture. And so back in, in that time, and this was almost would be unheard of now, but they would they would write on weather maps and synoptic code. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was so I got hooked on that. I mean, I was I was looking at weather symbols before I was writing, you know, which was a little <laughs> bit up in the attic. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, I, I mean, it was, I was just completely hooked to the point that, you know, how it goes is that when you're a kid, it is your identity. And, and uh, there's almost a mystical quality to it in terms of how you resonate with the world around you, which is, which is kind of a, it's kind of a state of grace for me that I could default into when there was chaos going on as I go up to the attic and get involved with the weather and right. turn on my shortwave radio and plot weather maps, you know, the, yeah. the old, the old uh, aviation weather that you could get on shortwave. I forget what the band the, what the, it wasn't 162.3 megahertz. That was the National Weather Service. Right. It, was the, it was the flight stuff. You know, oh, the, um, the long wave code. radiation, 382 kilohertz, uh, long yeah. wave radio, just below the AM band. Right, right, right. So that was very cool. And I so I, and it was such a different era. There was no internet. So you had to piece together yeah. mm-hmm. data. I had my own crew form of nephoscope where I would take a mirror and go out and I could sort of like, I do a surface map. And then I, the other thing I did was I would, I would, uh, I, I created a map and I located AM radio stations and I could, I created a crew form of radar where I could estimate where thunderstorms were with respect to what radio station was being drowned out by static. Ah, very nice. Yeah. The spherics, uh, thing. With lightning. Yeah. And, uh, now, interestingly, I thought I was the first one to do that. But oddly enough, Don Kent himself did that mm-hmm. before I did. Really? I didn't know that. that. Yeah. Interesting. You so know, that was Don, very cool. Don Kent was was a, uh, a guest on Weather Jazz when Weather Jazz was first birthed uh, more than 15 years ago. And um, he and Bruce Schwegler were both on uh, as, oh, as guests. Terrific. And yeah. One of the neatest letters I ever got from Don Kent after I mailed him a, a CD back then, you know, we were on CDs and I, so I mailed him a CD, the, the program so he could hear it. He wrote back the neatest letter handwritten as yes. all of them were. And yes. he said, Andre, I want you to know that doing weather jazz was the most important thing I have ever done in my career. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> but, Is that and, right? Hey, I mean, talk about humbling. 
because here I am, much like you. I mean, we, we held these people in great, great esteem watching them on television and uh, yeah, uh, something that uh, that I did was important to him. I thought, wow, that's that was pretty special for me. So, yeah, he he, got, he had that he he had a special quality. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in Channel Seven in Boston, Cy Yanoff and Jeff Rosser brought Don Kent and Jack Chase back to do guest weather uh, in 1984 at Channel Seven, and so. I had the the humbling experience of training Don on the graphic system and work, and it was just such a cool thing. You know, he was just yeah. great. Yeah, I bet. I bet yeah. you that was a great experience for you. It was. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sure was. So you were in television for for a bit, uh, even spending some time at the Weather Channel uh, in in Atlanta, um, and most recently, yeah, I, did, the- I did the circuit. I, mm-hmm. I, I was not. Uh, I. It, it, there's different career paths that people in, in media follow. And so my stints tended to be three to six years and keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I got around, I was in Providence for a few years, went to San Jose, California. I was in New York for a year in Boston for seven. Uh, and then the weather channel was a wonderful experience. I went through the, the uh, uh, hurricane Hugo, oh, Hugo. Mm-hmm. I think I was in Boston, a uh, hurricane. Andrew I was on the air the night that Andrew came into came into Miami wow. uh, two o'clock in the morning. It was myself and master control and 3 million people watching from, from mm-hmm. various parts of the country. That was interesting. Um, and then, uh, and this, the, the superstorm of 93, that was another, another highlight. Then it went to Fort Myers to the, the Fox affiliate. That was a startup. And that went seven years, bought out and then kept moving, went up to Savannah, finished out in, at WMTW and in, um, in Portland, Portland, Maine. Do you have a favorite? Um, they, you know, I, there were moments, uh, there were moments that were, I had, uh, they were also such unique. I'm, I'm grateful for all of them. Uh, Fort Myers, I, I was really kind of, uh, almost like a baby because that was a slab. We started that newscast from nothing and went to, went to number two in the nation. We were pulling a nine rating, uh, from wow. 10 to 11. Wow. Yeah. That was pretty gratifying. And and that was almost like a Weather Channel experience because we could still do national weather. And it was relevant because during the February ratings book, we would show video from up north and get into some of the, the national weather. So it was a broader venue at a time when, you know, everybody was going local, local. So mm-hmm. that it, it there was still some relevancy in terms of covering national weather, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very cool. Uh, Tom, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, And when we come back, we are going to talk about what you're doing nowadays and what led you there. It's it's a fascinating journey, and I'm sure everybody's going to uh, want to to stick around. So uh, would you uh, come back right after a quick break? Of course I will. We're back with Tom Chisholm right now on Weather Jazz, and we just recently... Uh, spoke about uh, your your career path and media meteorology and uh, it, you're still very much steeped in in the sciences i mean we had a great off camera and and off mic conversation about a number of topics we don't have to go but we go there but your your science is still very much 
in you and a part of you. Tell me what you're doing now. What I am doing now, I'm working with a group. Um, uh, we're, we are in a template, enhanced template form now. We have a nice organization going where we are applying uh, essentially weather and solar variances to financial markets and the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, much to my shock and amazement, I was doing almost on a hobby level in between newscasts. It kind of began down in Fort Myers where I was, I was watching CNBC and I was trying to figure out what was going on with interest rates because interest rates peaked in 1980. And since that time, interest rates keep falling and falling and falling and falling against the backdrop of one economist after another, you know, appearing on CNBC and Bloomberg and elsewhere and saying interest rates are going to be going up. It's just a matter of you know, these prophecies kept failing. And I said, what are they missing? There's something that's not in their discipline that they're not seeing. So I started mm-hmm. doing some research, uh, investigating, and I, much to my amazement, I, I saw a number of uh, phased relationships between 11-year solar cycles and interest rates. But not just interest rates, but other metrics that drive that are a reflection of the economy, like money velocity, capacity utilization, a whole bunch of things, and including um, uh, prices. Oddly enough, prices paid for mergers and acquisitions follow solar cycles. Uh, and then I got into some of the economic underpinnings um, and, and, and noticed these relationships by latitude that there's certain interest rate and inflation relationships at the equator as opposed to uh, northern European countries that are in kind of a steady state. Interest rates are the highest near the equator. They're the lowest at high latitudes and they're most variant at mid-latitudes that uh, 85% of global, global GDP, gross national uh, domestic product, 85% of it occurs between 25 degrees north and 53 degrees north. So at mid-latitudes, uh, the most uh, most output, uh, global output, is north and south of the equator. It's not, it's not just, we can use, uh, I use uh, Chile and New Zealand south of the equator as kind of a, as a, a cross-confirming control. Mm-hmm. Uh, that So that's over 90%. And there's virtually no GDP coming out of equatorial countries. Wow. Um, so it fits, it, and it goes through cycles. It follows 11-year solar cycles. Um, uh and it, it, we could be traced to everything also in terms of, believe it or not, brain symmetry, that uh, en masse uh, economies tend to be more right-brained and creative and subdued at solar minimums. Uh, there's virtually no war at solar minimums. Fertility rates are very low. So nature has a way of compelling certain behaviors as a function of how much sun is, is reaching the earth, how much plant life is growing. And uh, nature kind of compels us to not do harm to one another at solar minimums. The tendency for violence uh, and fertility rates reaches a peak at solar maximums. Mm-hmm. And World War II initiated at a solar maximum. Uh, the Tehran Revolution occurred in 1980, solar maximum. Um, that's also a time where fertility rates are higher. War and uh, birth rates are highest at the equator and they're lowest at, at northern latitudes. And they're, they're most variant at, at mid-latitudes. So all of this 
all of those relationships have an economic expression that follows cyclical patterns. And so um, I started applying that to, you know, historically following patterns of uh, investments and returns across equity subsectors and commodities and the yield curve and a whole bunch of things. Um, and gradually built a model that we have uh, been working with a gentleman by the name of Eric Weglars, another television meteorologist, another Linden Stater, by the way. Uh, uh-huh. And we've been formalized. We've been for, we have formalized this into a, an actual, uh, the first of its kind, weather solar quant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a predictive quant that, that that iterates going forward based on current conditions with respect to uh, historical analog economics. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now that's a mouthful, but it's, uh, it's something, it sounds like you started seeing long time ago and slowly putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And over time kind of started putting those pieces thing. Hey, I think we have a, we have a picture that's starting to show up here. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you another component to this much to my, and I, I worked through this and continue to work through it kind of inductively and intuitively because I was born at a solar minimum. Okay. So I, I intuited that I thought that I would, if I were to piece together a name, um, historical figures that I would call the relativists, the poets, Mm -hmm. the the statisticians, religious figures, uh, that I would list a whole bunch of them. And I, I would, I said, I would guess that 55 to 60% of those individuals were born within 20% of 11-year solar minimums. So I wrote down everybody from Mark Twain to Edgar Allan Poe to Martin Luther King to Carl Jung to Ralph Emerson, across a spectrum of disciplines, Pascal, the, the mathematician, all of the relativists, um, I, I wrote those then and found their birth dates. And then I went to the solar charts. Mm-hmm. And I found that every single one of them was born within 10% of the solar minimum. Wow. So I'm going, wow. well, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. who, who would be, I, I need to have, so that's my, I don't know if that's my control group, but I, okay. So uh, that's my analog. Now I need to have an inverse log. So I, right. okay. Who would be mm-hmm. the inverse log? A lot of those people, the peacemakers, the religious figures and so forth. Um, so I, I, I found all of the despots of our times the last, you know, 200 years, um, won't name them, uh, but uh, the despots of the, the despots of history. And mm-hmm. I wrote those names down and every single one of them was born within 10% of, of solar max. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, the idea is, is that those individuals that came out that resonated with people that became historical, uh, they had, of course, cohort populations. They weren't alone. Mm-hmm, so the right. population sets during those times tend to be, you know, more in the case of solar minimums tend to be more creative. They, I, I call it the, the people live living lives in a minor key, <laughs> very mm. creative, less proximate. Yeah. Um, for psychol- a psychologist that might be, you know, listening to this, um, tending towards the axis one spectrum of personality types as opposed to axis two, which you find with your despots. <laughs> wow. So it's, it's ass- interesting how you're assembling all of these pieces, parts and, and puzzles, but making it uh, perhaps usable. 
Uh, it sounds it, like you're trying to make these things usable now in some way, shape, or form uh, to the individual. Yeah, uh, it is. And, and what I would say to the to an average person that's interested in investing mm-hmm. is um, this will give you a, a, a confident base state to know that you're probably on the right track if you're allocated. I would not say to somebody, you should be this percent or that percent in stocks, bonds, whatever, because I'm not licensed to do that. But what, what I can say is, is that, you know, the tendency is right now we're two years into solar cycle 25. And historically, the yield curve from now and for through another three or four years, the yield curve tends to steepen and economically sensitive stocks tend to outperform and bonds don't do particularly well. And inflation tends to, to perk up and so forth. So those are the tendencies. So uh, rather than somebody feeling they have to be hyper vigilant over their portfolio, they could say, you know, I have the confidence of looking out. I, I believe that. And so I could stay with my investments for three or four years and not really sweat corrections mm-hmm. to come along the way because those are inevitable. I'm not going to, I'm not every squiggle that I see in a right. technical chart, I'm not going to react to it because mm-hmm. I know where I am in the solar cycle. <laughs> so this is this is following the thesis and some of the, the themes that are espoused by Warren Buffett's business partner Charlie mm-hmm. Munger. I, I highly recommend a, a video that I watch a couple of times a year called "It's Charlie Munger's Twenty Four Rules of Humanist Judgment." It's <laughs> <laughs> a mouthful. One of the things he says, he, a couple of things he says in the in the in the video. One of them is that everything is resolvable in the Pascal Triangle. So I'm like, that sounds like a thermodynamics major or something. Somebody with a thermodynamics background. It turns out he did. He went to Cal Poly before he went to Harvard wow. Law School. Wow. And, and and the other thing that, you know, he basically said was invert, always invert. And, and that is that whatever, whatever the, the, the math, whenever the, the, the majority of people are going in one direction, have the courage of conviction to go in the other direction. Mm-hmm. A contrarian. Um, yeah, to be a contrarian and to, you know, he also said that when he when he finds himself agreeing with everybody, he that's when he really questions himself. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. it's a herd mentality. It's it, it's the illusion of safety in the middle of the herd, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you're working on a template. You've got a working template now. Uh, what's next? Do you have a website uh, or is that coming? What's, the website uh, what's on is the coming. Next? If, if somebody mm-hmm. wants to check out my material, the, the, the best place to go to is is uh, is my LinkedIn page. Um, okay. I post on there virtually every day and I'm getting a, a very big following on there. And so I'm, I'm very, very careful on that. Uh, we have a pending website. Uh, we we have um, we have two initiatives. W- one uh, one is Solar Cycle Capital, which is is a template itself, mm-hmm. and we have a new company that we're beta we're beta testing with a firm in Asia right now. And this site is going to have it, it will have a website shortly. It is called uh, Global Macro Climate Solutions for mm-hmm. now. Uh, okay. People should not be scared off by the word climate in there because even before there was alleged climate change, there was also a climate. So we are addressing the climate. <laughs> and we all know that climate is not static, is it? No, no climate's always changing. Of course right, it yeah. is. That's the way the earth has always been. Uh, Tom, I'm going to uh, place those links for anybody who's interested on Weather Jazz episode number 275 at weatherjazz.com. If you're interested in 
in uh, hooking up with uh, Tom and keeping track of uh, his work and his developing work, really. Tom, would love to have you back on whenever you want, whenever you have something that you would like to uh, to share with the audience. Uh, I think the audience would really find that interesting. And I highly encourage, this is something that I don't believe that I have a corner on. I would mm-hmm. like to encourage people to understand, as Charlie Munger again would say, is become an expert generalist. Become a utility infielder in terms of finding the, li- the links between the artificial barriers between finance, uh, everything in the human experience. We are a culture that tends to compartmentalize things unnecessarily. And mm-hmm. so blend your curiosity in areas of science with finance, with economics and everything in the human experience. And I think ultimately two things will happen. You'll realize that everything is one. And number two, as you, as you gain knowledge and acquire knowledge, you will find yourself magically in a superposition of knowledge where your perspective will be greater than the sum of the parts. That's a, that's a gestalt mm-hmm. position with respect to this, this kind of content. Your curiosity reminds me of the kind of curiosity that some of the greats, the great minds, who admittedly themselves would say, I'm not just, I'm not a great mind like you say I am. I'm just curious. No, and the more I know, the more uncomfortable I feel because I'm going, it's like peeling away layers mm-hmm. of the onion skin. It's God, God has a sense of humor because when you think you know something, you've got a corner on it, another layer of unveiling. Go, okay, I'm going to challenge you some more. Mm-hmm. And the and layers okay. never end. Yeah, they do. Right. They, and so they just you learn coming. to be, yeah, you learn to be uncomfortable. You learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think you've done that. You've done that quite well. And uh, you're going to stretch us some more. I've got a hunch uh, on future episodes, and I uh, do welcome you back. That's awesome. Great, Andre. It was very, very nice to speak with you. Good to talk to you. Good to uh, touch bases with you again. Again, Tom and I go back uh, uh, many decades. I won't tell you how many, because that would mean that we're old, but we're not. <laughs> we're <laughs> Funny how that happens. <laughs> It just happened all at once. No, yeah. I like the way Rush Limbaugh used to say it. Uh, he says, no, no, you're not old. You're well-seasoned. Well-seasoned. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I, I think so. That means more maturity. Uh, your curiosity is better channeled. And, uh, yeah, I think the best years are still ahead of us. Well, and it's a time that we can help others. And um, mm-hmm. I've got a, a few young people that I'm working with right now. And, and it's a real blessing because... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can offer up a, a little corner of wisdom when asked. I've never tried to impose it, but, but uh, you know, timing is everything. Well, I hope you found today's interview as fascinating as I was in talking about some of the things that Tom is getting into. In fact, his plan is so intriguing, so interesting that it's my plan to have Tom back periodically, especially as things develop in his world. Well, do help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence on social media, by email, and by word of mouth. Word of mouth is my favorite way, as I always like to say, 
over the fence, eyeball to eyeball contact is often how you transfer your energy level and your interest in a subject to someone else. Because if they see the interest in your eyes, they're going to be intrigued and want to check things out for themselves. And so that's how the Weather Jazz audience will grow. By the way, if you have a question or a topic suggestion, or you just want to call and say hello and let us know how it is you listen to Weather Jazz, would love to hear from you. My favorite way is using the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. My number is 234-525-5888. Listen to the prompts and then leave your message. I may use your message in a future episode. And I mentioned in a previous episode that I'd be including a great question on the practicality of forecasting predominant wind direction. And I'm going to have that on Open Line Friday. We're going to open things off in that realm with that question. Great question. And keep those questions coming or perhaps even a topic suggestion. Again, number 234-525-5888. And you can also contact me via email. And my email address is simply weatherjazz at yahoo.com. Now, if you find yourself in the car or you're on your morning jog listening to this podcast, you probably don't have an easy way to transcribe everything I just gave you. Not to worry. Just go to weatherjazz.com when you're done. And at the very top, click on the Contacts tab, and all of that information will be right at your fingertips. Again, we're sliding into home plate of 2021, and we'll have one more Weather Jazz podcast episode, and that's going to be on New Year's Eve. So I look forward to seeing you right here on Weather Jazz. See you then. Weather and science across the globe. Jazz Podcast.